Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 367 with Allison Shapira. Allison has got the goods when it comes to how to use your voice well. She's a speech coach and former opera singer, so she knows a thing or two about how it's done. So you'll learn, one, how you're likely breathing wrong and what to do about it. Two, three ways the power of your voice is reduced. And three, the key things most people neglect when preparing a speech. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F367. Now here's Allison's story. Allison Shapira is the CEO and founder of Global Public Speaking, LLC. She's a former opera singer and TEDx speaker who teaches at the Harvard Kennedy School and offers keynote speeches, workshops, and executive coaching for Fortune 500 companies, government agencies, and nonprofits around the world. Allison works with global brands as a highly rated speaker, trainer, and executive coach. She also travels around the world teaching leadership communication to help women leaders grow their business, run for office, or launch a nonprofit. She holds a master's in public administration from the Harvard Kennedy School is a member of the National Speakers Association and is an internationally renowned singer-songwriter who uses music as a way to help others find their voice and their courage to speak. She speaks Italian and Hebrew and has studied eight other languages. Thanks to Allison for sharing some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Allison. Allison, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks, Pete. Well, I'm so excited to dig into your wisdom, but I want to start a little bit with your your background in singing opera. How did this come about and how did you transition from this <laughs> to what you're doing now? I have been singing opera since I was 12. I always loved singing. And at 12 years old, my parents arranged me for me to have voice lessons. And it just so happens that the teacher was a classically trained teacher and that one teacher influenced my musical trajectory. And so I always wanted to sing opera growing up. But then when I got to college, I lost my passion for it. And I talk about this in the book. I was told that, that I wasn't quite good enough for an operatic career. And so it wasn't until I started working in diplomacy that I realized everything I learned as, as a singer made me a very good speaker and coach. And that's how I made that transition. Oh, excellent. Could you give us an example of, of sort of one, one key learning from, from singing that uh, carries over into to the speaking coaching? One key element that carries over is the importance of breathing. So as opera singers, we know it's critical to learn how to breathe and then project our voice in a way that commands the room. As speakers, we know it's important, but no one ever teaches us how to do it. So as a singer, I actually had this great training in vocal production that helped me project my voice when speaking as well as singing. So that was an incredible advantage that I had as a public speaker when I already knew how to play with and project my voice. Oh, excellent. And, and so could you orient us a little bit to, to your company, Global Public Speaking, and, and your latest book, Speak With Impact? I would love to. Global Public Speaking is a communication training firm that I founded, and we've since grown to a team of six people. And we teach public speaking and presentation skills through one-on-one -on -one coaching, group workshops, and then I give keynote speeches on the importance of finding your voice and your courage to speak. And that's very much in line with what my new book is about, Speak With Impact, How to Command the Room and Influence Others. It's a guide to the busy professional moving up in their career 
who wants to use their voice as a way to exercise leadership? How do they need to communicate with confidence and authenticity so that they can have a powerful impact on others? That's the premise of the book. Mm-hmm. I dig it. So we talk about a powerful impact on others. Could you maybe orient us a bit to sort of what is the the why behind this or or the difference that uh, it makes in one's life when your your speaking is impactful versus not so impactful? It has a number of benefits. And to give you an example, I do a lot of programs in-house for companies where I'll work with teams and top talent or emerging leaders. And we're focused primarily on professional speaking. So as you walk into a to lead a meeting as opposed to simply be part of the meeting, how does your communication need to change? Because the more senior you become, the more people are looking to you for guidance. So we focus on the professional components of speaking, but I'll often get emails from clients I've worked with who say, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I spoke up on behalf of my kids' school because they were going to change the school and there was a lot of media coverage. And so using the communication training that we worked on for my job, I was actually able to make a persuasive case to save our kids' school. It's an amazing experience to see. We, we use these skills for a professional purpose, but they have an incredible social impact as well. Okay. Well, so could you maybe orient us then? What are some of the, the main differentiators between a voice that is highly impactful versus one that isn't? Well, when we talk about voice, there are a lot of things that we do that reduce the power of our voice. It could be filler words like, um, uh, you know, right, so, and just, which is my personal pet peeve when we we buffer everything with just. Mm. So that's something that reduces the power of our words. And then we also might use vocal fry, and I'm demonstrating by by making my voice croaky, or up talk when our voice goes up at the end of a sentence. Now, interestingly enough, vocal fry and up talk and fillers, these are things that both men and women use. But what I've noticed is that when women use them, it disproportionately hurts us more. Hmm. It holds us back more. So that's an interesting distinction that I've observed. The antidote to all of those is using breathing so that your voice can command the room, so that you speak with confidence as opposed to speaking in a questioning form. And that's so important when you're trying to convince someone to do something, whether you want them to adopt a course of action in your company or save your school. The conviction in your voice has a huge impact on how you come across. Well, so I'm intrigued by, by several of the things you said there in terms of, well, well first, let's get to that the how. So it, with, if you breathe right, you're going to address a lot of these on, in one fell swoop. So so what does breathing right consist of and, and how do we do it? I have a particular three-step technique that your listeners can see on my website, globalpublicspeaking.com. So there's a, a place where they can learn that and practice that while actually watching me. But it comes from recognizing that as we breathe, there's a way that we can breathe that lets us take in a nice full breath of air and then exhale while speaking on the breath. And that's a difficult concept for a lot of people to, to think of initially. But once they get the hang of it, it's essentially ex- exhaling while you're speaking so that your breath projects your words forward as opposed to having them fall back into your throat. And that's a particular technique that I have videos that walk people through. And Okay, interesting. Exhaling while you're speaking. I'm thinking about it right now <laughs> oh, as, as I'm doing it. As well, I can hear it. But a lot of people think 
they have to hold their breath while they're speaking, but they should actually be exhaling while speaking. Okay. And so I guess I think that I'm always exhaling when I'm speaking because I'm running out of air and feel the need to take a breath. But is it a matter of degree? Like exhale a little more than you think you should or you're accustomed to? It's exhaling continuously as opposed to holding it back and then trying to speak anyways. And it's also about taking more frequent breaths. So if you're running out of breath at the end of a sentence, then perhaps you need to use shorter sentences or take a breath at every punctuation mark. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's interesting. And, and I remember we, we had Roger Love uh, on the, on the show earlier, who's a, uh, who's oh, a speech coach. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and so he t- used the metaphor of, I think he called it the squeaky hinge. Like you start off a sentence pretty strong, but then toward the end, you're running out of your air. And so it kind of sounds like this at the end. And, and I, I think that it's, I'm exaggerating, but I have, I've even noticed it when I'm editing my openers and closers in the podcast, like, oh, sure enough, the, there's a, a shorter waveform, you know, in my digital audio program toward the end of that sentence. I'm, I'm doing it. Oops. Note to self. Yeah, you know, breathe more. Exactly. And again, it's not just breathing more, but letting the breath continue even through the end of the sentence, as opposed to letting it trail off, which what happens is you're cutting off the air, but you're still speaking. So as long as you keep riding that breath and using that breath to complete a sentence, then you can avoid vocal fry. You know, I like that. This kind of reminds me of, I guess, sort of sports things. If you're swinging a bat or a racket or doing a a boxing punch, you want to sort of follow through the motion all the way until it's sort of well past the point of impact in in terms of of having sort of a, a full, complete connection there. Exactly. So the follow through is critical. Okay, very cool. All right, so the the breathing solves a lot. And, and so the, on the website, is there a particular link or place to click to, or can we link that so we, we go right to the right spot with those videos? I'll make sure that I send you a specific link to that so people can click on it and immediately see the breathing video that walks them through the three-step process. Okay, well, so so that's cool. And and then well, I'd love it if, so I guess we got the videos, but if we could maybe just take a moment. So can you just hear in, in brief, like what is step one, step two, step three? Sure. Well, step one is finding the right posture. And I teach people how to stand tall with their feet flat on the floor so that they're, they can, they're in the best position to take in breath. And then the second step is breathing in, in a way that avoids using their chest to breathe, but rather breathes into their stomach and abdomen as if they had a balloon in their stomach that's filling with air as they breathe in. And then the third step is exhaling and speaking on the breath as we discussed and practicing that exhalation while speaking. So that's the three-step process in a nutshell. Okay, cool. And and then I also want to return to some of the points you made about the vocal pauses. Um, there, I did just one. <laughs> um, that was for demonstration purposes, Allison. Uh, so, of course it was. <laughs> I, I would treat my, you said the word just in particular is a pet peeve of yours. Uh, let's hear your rant so we can, any just users can shape up. <laughs> well, if you think about the word just, what does it mean? I just think, I just want to say, it's almost as if you're asking permission to speak up. As if you're saying, don't worry, I won't take a long time. I I just want to say this one thing. And I believe each of us has something incredibly powerful to say on behalf of ourselves or on behalf of others. And when we say just, we apologize for whatever it is that we say next, as opposed to owning what we believe and owning our right to say it. 
which is why I don't like using the word just. And I have a friend who teaches American Sign Language, and I asked her once, what do you sign when someone says just? And her sign is shrugging her shoulders. Ooh. So think about that. Next time you want to use the word just, would you shrug your shoulders with whatever you said <laughs> next? Or would you stand tall and declare it proudly? And if the answer is the latter, then lose the just. This reminds me, I've got a joke with my buddy Connor. I noticed that someone had a vocal pattern of putting so at the end of their sentences. It had a similar effect. And, and, and for example, you might say, hey, do you, so do you guys want to get some appetizers? So, or it's like an or or a so. It's like, so I was just thinking maybe we could get some appetizers. And I thought it was just so funny. You put an or or a, or a so or a just in there, that the impact it has. And, and so, so we like to joke, like if you were to say something really powerful followed by an, an or, like, are you guys inspired by my vision or... <laughs> And, and it just sort of right. Can you can you imagine <laughs> speaking up at work and saying this is a critical issue that we all have to be paying attention to? So um, yeah, yeah, I like that. You know what? The one that gets me, uh, and this shows up a lot in my coaching, is when people say the word obviously, and and I think that's I think it's more of just like a a crutch for themselves. Like okay, maybe the thing I I just said isn't super insightful and is is readily apparent. So I'm going to give myself a little bit of cover. So you don't think that I think that I'm saying something brilliantly insightful when I know that I'm not. So I'm covering it. I think that's kind of what's going on subconsciously. But what I hear, obviously, I think it's it's just an unnecessary risk you're taking. So like if, if so, if it was not obvious to the person that you said it to, then they're going to be a little ticked like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not as smart as you apparently. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Obviously, actually, basically, using, used once or twice, there's nothing wrong with it. But if you start to use them consistently throughout your speech or even during a meeting, then I believe they have a negative effect on your listeners. Right. And I think that basically can sometimes be helpful when, when we're having a, a good summary sentence there. It's like, Basically, we're trying to reduce the customer churn. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yes, thank you for for summarizing it or paraphrasing what what I just said. So that that's helpful there, but it definitely kind of gets finds its way in a lot of places where it doesn't quite belong. Well, cool. So thank you for 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 talking about some of the the voice differentiators there. Now, when it comes to actually preparing for a speech or presentation, you've laid out a few key questions that you recommend it's important to think through in advance. Definitely. There are three questions that I recommend people ask before any speech or presentation, or even if they're preparing to walk into a meeting and think they might speak up. And these three questions are critical for helping you determine what you want to say, why you want to say it, and how to say it. The first question is, who's your audience? Who are you talking to? Which helps you understand how they're going to feel about what it is you have to say. And that helps you choose your argumentation. It helps you choose your structure, your stories, your data. So putting yourself in the audience's shoes helps you craft something and a language that they're going to want to hear. The second question is, what's your goal? And every speech is an opportunity to influence people's behavior, to change the way they think or act, which is an incredible opportunity. So be purposeful in advance of your speech or presentation in thinking, well, what do I want people to do? And if appropriate, put it in a call to action. 
a very clear call to action at the beginning, at the end, or at the end of your remarks. So those first two questions, who's your audience and what's your goal, are, are fairly straightforward. These are questions many of us would ask ourselves before a speaking situation. The third question is the most important and the least obvious. And the third question is, why you? And by that, I mean, why do you care about what you're talking about? Because a lot of times people will be reading something off of their company's website or they'll be using language that doesn't feel authentic to them. And as a result, the speech falls flat. But when you ask why you, why do you care? Why is this important to you? Then you tap into a much deeper, more authentic sense of purpose about why this issue is critical. And if you're nervous about speaking up, then asking why you gives you the confidence that what you have to say is important. And you're reframing it as not being about you, but about your message and about your audience. Why you also make sure that the language you use is authentic because it will tap into personal stories or experiences that help you relate to the content and therefore help you relate to your audience. So in my experience, the why you is that creativity booster that also boosts our confidence as well. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay. And, and so I think that sometimes, you know, there's a really strong, powerful why, why you in terms of, it's like, I've, I've seen my child, you know, there, there said, you know, <laughs> but this was happened to you all the time. I'm not counting. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you see, I, I could say, for instance, I'll give you the speech because I know what it's like to have a child choking on a bottle repeatedly and you're terrified in, in that moment that it could result in a trip to the hospital or, or him turning blue. For example, like that's a bit dramatic thing. Like we've learned some things about, you know, how to uh, bottle feed a, a baby who's choking a lot. And, and I could share those and it's powerful from an emotional perspective. But other times I, I think in, in a, in a business context, it's, you know, lower stakes or, or maybe less interesting in terms of, I guess I'm just thinking about the revenue growth at um, a company. And, and I guess if you're the, the owner or the, the sales director getting, you know, commissions and bonuses based on that, that could be highly exciting. But you know, if you're kind of in the middle of things, it, it may be less so, you know, how do you, sort of dig into a, a richer why when, when on the surface it might feel a little bit shallow? Well, there's always a deeper why there. It, it always goes more than just, just, and I'm using just intentionally in this situation, <laughs> It's it goes beyond so that I can make money or to increase shareholder value. That's not what necessarily gets us out of bed in the morning. It's to have an impact. It's to provide an environment that people actually want to come to work in. And in the book, I quote one of my clients who I worked with where I, I said, why is helping clients important to you? She said, well, it, it just is. I said, why? And she said, well, because service is important to me. I said, why? And she said, well, my parents taught that to me growing up. And I said, tell me more. And she said, well, my parents were small business owners and every single day, I saw them get up and put others' needs before themselves, and it had an incredibly powerful impact on me. And now every day I get up thinking about how I can help my clients. Okay, yeah, I like that, yes. That's a powerful story. It's professional, but it's also personal. And if I were a small business owner and that person were pitching me, I would think, wow, 
I, this person understands me. I can trust this person. So that's an example of how you can use why you in a professional setting with a very powerful impact. I like that. So then, so then the why, I guess you articulate that a few, few ways. It's just like you're honoring your, your parents' uh, memory or example or, or values. And, and this is, this is who, who I am and, and who I am as a part of, uh, of a bigger thing with my, my family and ancestors. And, and so I, I hear you. Yes, that's, uh, that's excellent. Very much appreciated. So that's the beginning part. And it's something everyone can use as well. Oh, sure. Please go ahead. Well, so that's kind of how to think about things at the beginning of, of putting together uh, a speech or presentation. Well, how about when you're, you're getting towards the end, when you're, you're doing some of the polishing and perfecting? You've identified there's, there's a few steps that many people overlook. They just neglect, but they shouldn't. You know, what are those things? The biggest step that most people overlook and shouldn't is reading your speech or presentation out loud. A lot of people will jot it down, they'll look at it on the paper, they'll read it in their head, especially if they're using slides. They simply look through the slides and think, okay, I'm ready. But writing for the ear and writing for the eye are two different things. And it's only when you read something out loud that you can listen to it critically and think, does this sound good? Does this sound like how I normally speak? Is it easy to pronounce? Because if you stumble over a word in practice, you're going to stumble over the word in the actual presentation. So reading it out loud is critical. And that's also a way that you can start to remember it more easily. And I don't recommend that people memorize their speech or presentation, but it should be comfortable enough that if your piece of paper with your notes on it falls to the floor, you still know where you're going next. And then another thing that I recommend people do in the practice phase is to reduce their speech to simply the key bullet points, a phrase or two, an outline, and then that's what they should bring with it with them to the speech or presentation. A lot of times I'll see people get up to speak and they have full sentences written out, double-sided in tiny print with no white space. It's impossible to find your place in the middle of a speech. So I recommend printing out simply the outline with key phrases or words, not full sentences, and practicing giving the speech or presentation from those bullet points so that they feel comfortable and know where to look when they forget what they're going to say. Yes, I like that. Very nice. And, and so then when it comes to actually delivering the speech, you've got some th thoughts when it comes to some movements and gestures that, that bring it to life. What are those? I talk about three different movements, eye contact, body language, and voice. And with eye contact, I always recommend that people speak to one person at a time. So instead of scanning the room, trying to read everyone at the same time, pick someone in the room and deliver a full sentence to them or a full thought. And then look at somebody else and speak to them for a full thought. And then you're not speaking with 100 people. You're simply looking at one person at a time and you get a number of people in your gaze as you do that, but you focus on one person at a time and that really calms people down. So that's what I recommend with eye contact. With body language, I talk about every movement being purposeful. We're all all aware of the nervous body language that people tend to use, nervous movements like wringing your hands, playing with your hair or your rings, and, and men and women do this. And it's something that 
demonstrates to the audience that you're nervous. So I like to practice my body language in advance and practice different hand gestures that reinforce my messages. Or I practice walking around during transitions and then pausing to make a point. And then I pause and make eye contact with someone to make a point. So those are some ways in which you can incorporate more purposeful body language into your presentations. And then the third movement is, it's not technically a movement at all, but it's the movement with your voice. So your vocal variety, whether your voice goes up or goes down, or your energy level gets high or gets lower. So being able to play with that conversational tone is so important. A lot of times we stand up and all of the energy and life drains out of our voice because we get nervous. So our breathing constricts, which is what we were talking about earlier. So when you're able to pause and breathe and take those nice deep breaths and project your voice, then you can make your voice much more conversational. And I don't want people to use a different speaking voice in front of the room than they do when they're off stage. I simply want them to bring their best voice on stage as opposed to their most nervous voice. So those are the three different movements that I talk about in the book, eye contact, body language, and voice. And I'd love to get your take when it comes to these matters. To what extent do you think about this from a perspective of, okay, and and this sentence, I will use this hand gesture, as opposed to thinking about the the underlying emotion. I, and I guess I'm thinking about, I guess you might call it like method acting in terms of, okay, I'm really going there emotionally. And mm-hmm. thus naturally my voice and my hands are going to do those things because they correspond to the associated emotion versus, ah, make sure to widely spread your, your arms in, in this, in this <laughs> moment. I, I guess I, I see pros and cons to, to both approaches. And, and I worry, I think maybe that if, if I overdo it, in terms of, of of listing out, you know, this gesture at this phrase, then it could come across as as a little bit like you're just sort of doing a show, Pete. You don't actually like feel these things. So I don't know. What, what's your take on that one? I, I so I'm so glad that you brought that up because it is a real consideration. And I certainly don't want people to feel like they're acting out their speech or presentation. The idea is natural body language doesn't always come naturally which is funny to say, but absolutely accurate, because in the moment we're nervous, we're thinking about so many things. So it can be helpful to practice in front of a mirror or videotape ourselves on a device or a phone and try out different hand gestures, try things out to see what matches the words we're using and what feels natural. And by virtue of practicing it, it's starts to become natural. And then when you get in front of the audience, you pause and breathe, you focus on your message, and whatever gestures you make will flow naturally as a result of that practice. But you're right, it's a fine balance between having it be too scripted versus more authentic. But the more you practice, the more authentic it becomes. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, now tell me anything else you want to make sure to to mention before we shift gears and talk about some of your favorite things. Well, one thing that I'd like to make clear is that public speaking doesn't just happen when you stand up on stage in front of a group of people with a microphone and, and a spotlight on you. Public speaking is something that happens every single day, speaking up on a conference call, speaking up in a meeting, asking a question at a conference, even if you're not on the panel, interviewing, 
pitching, speaking to clients, speaking to leadership. All of these are examples of public speaking. So once people recognize, A, that public speaking happens every single day, and B, to some of your earliest questions, that it's critical to have how we come across to others, to how we can effectively build relationships, then all of a sudden it becomes so important that we learn and become comfortable with this skill because it affects every aspect of our life, professional and personal, and makes us more impactful in whatever it is that we believe in. So it's important that people see public speaking as something that they do every single day. Lovely. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? One of my favorite quotes is by a Persian poet, Hafiz, and I hope I pronounce his name correctly. The words you speak become the house you live in. Thank you. And I find that quote so powerful because it's about the language that we use and the impact it has not just on others, but on ourselves. So it becomes very care- very important to choose the words that we use. And how about a favorite Study or experiment or bit of research? Oh, my favorite piece of research that I've read recently is about chewing gum and its impact on immediate word recall. So huh. it, it, there are a couple of different <laughs> studies, and I quote these in the book, talking about how chewing gum right before a speech or a test increases immediate word recall. It's the chewing aspect that helps stimulate our brain and overcome that fight or flight response so we can be more present and more analytically focused. The key element, of course, is to remember to spit the gum out before you get in front of an audience. So now what is immediate word recall? How do we define that? Immediate word recall would be remembering what you're supposed to say in your speech. So remembering your first sentence or remembering your main points or in a test, being able to remember what you just studied so that you can answer the questions correctly. Wow. That is intriguing. And and, and I guess is the, is the theory that the, there's a, a sort of a neuro pathway associated with the motion of a mouth and words because we speak words or how do they think that works? It's very interesting. And I'm, and I'm not a neuroscientist, um, but from what I've read, when we get nervous, it's the amygdala of our brain that's, that's overriding with that, with that fight or flight response. And when that happens, our mind goes blank. We forget what we're going to say because we're, we're preparing to run away from danger. But the act of chewing is something that stimulates, and I, I want to make sure I'm getting this right, it activates the prefrontal cortex, which is the more analytical part of the brain that helps us focus on what we want to say next. Oh, cool. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Besides my own book? <laughs> <laughs> favorite book. There are so many fantastic books. I just finished reading Never Split the Difference by Chris Foss. It is a negotiation. Oh, we had him on the show. Oh, you had him on the show. Fantastic. That was a page turner. I'm sorry to interrupt. Tell tell the world why you loved it. I, I was a big fan myself. I have studied negotiation and I have taught negotiation in the past. And there are some fantastic classic books out there on the subject. What I love about Chris's book is the practical component of it. And it's something that I try to emulate in my own book. I want to make sure whatever people read, it has stories to back it up and they can immediately apply it to their work. And I was reading Chris's book while I had a negotiation going on. 
in my business. And so I'm reading the book and I'm and I'm making notes in the pages and I'm changing my tactics and my strategy in the moment to positively influence the negotiation. So what I love about the book, very readable, which I appreciate, very interesting in terms of stories, and then the immediately practical applicable tips that I could use right away. So many, many reasons why I love that book. Absolutely. It's a winner. And and I, I found myself doing it all the time in terms of, you know, trying to elicit a no, uh, you know, and it works great, especially when people are hard to get on, on emails. Like, Oh, where, where'd they go? It's like, are you no longer interested in being a guest on the podcast? Like, oh no, 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 no. I'm sorry, Pete. It's just that, you know, things got busy. I, I'll grab a time right now. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Cool. And how about a favorite tool? Favorite tool. What kind of tool? Well, it could be a hardware or it could be a, it could be a hammer or drill. It could be a piece of software or app. It could be a, a thought framework or checklist of something that you use that really comes in handy. I am a big fan of Evernote. Have you mm-hmm. ever used Evernote? Oh, yes, me too. Tell me more. There's a point in my life where there's before Evernote. And there's after Evernote. And Evernote has given me a single place to organize my music. I'll write songs and store them in Evernote. My business, I will templates and checklists and save them there. I use Evernote to draft speeches and presentations. And the instant searchability is incredible. The tagging, and then it instantly syncs on across all of my devices as well, and it's password protected. So, as an as an organizing tool, Evernote literally runs my life. Mm, yeah, it, it's a real treat. You know, just lately, I, I I got just a piece of plywood to stick across my my treadmill, and then a Bluetooth keyboard, and with an iPad or, or iPhone, you can just rock and roll with with Evernote in one place. And then it's it's right to your computer next. So you can sort of modify it or you can put it into Word or somewhere else if you gotta get some some fancy formatting that, that works just right for other people. And I too am am quite the fan. I like how quickly it syncs as well. It's sort of like I just typed that minutes ago and, and you're right there. Thank you. Exactly. And then you're in a meeting and you simply pull up your phone and all your notes for that meeting are right there. It's it's incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite habit? Favorite habit. I'm practicing gratitude every morning and every afternoon. And as if identifying things you're grateful for, how do you uh, practice it? Identifying things that I'm grateful for that have happened recently. And then at the end of the day, what am I grateful for in this day? And, and I find that has a meaningful impact on how I feel when I go to work and how I feel when I go to bed. And tell me, is there a particular nugget that you you share with clients or in your book that really seems to to connect? It gets highlighted, retweeted, shared often. Something that you've, uh, or an, an original from Allison that's connecting for folk? Public speaking is a skill, not a talent. I say that over and over again. And people really, they really appreciate that because it means you don't have to be born a good public speaker. It's something everything can, everyone can learn. And I also like to say that public speaking is about finding your voice and your courage to speak. Yeah. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? I'd ask them to come find me on my website at globalpublicspeaking.com. They can read more about the book. They can actually download a chapter of the book for free. And then they can watch a number of different videos with quick tips that I've recorded on public speaking. So people will ask me a question and then I'll answer the question in a one minute video. And all of those videos you can find on on my website at globalpublicspeaking.com. 
And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Well, I would challenge people to come to every single meeting prepared with one point they're going to make that will further the conversation. Recognizing that public speaking happens every single day, prepare for it in advance and have that one thought that you're going to share. And it's a way to have an impact without having to formally be on the agenda. Beautiful. Well, Allison, this has been tons of fun. I wish you all the best of luck with your your company, Global Public Speaking, and the book, Speak with Impact, and just all you're up to. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate it. And thanks for talking to me today. Ever since this conversation with Allison, I've been all the more keenly aware and attuned to when I or others say just, which is her personal pet peeve as a vocal filler, because it sort of cuts the the power associated with what you're saying. Instead of you saying that forcefully, you're just saying this. And I also notice that emails frequently. I'm just following up. And so, yeah. Let that be a lesson to you. The word just can undercut some of your oomph, your your power when you're, you're speaking. So hope you dug that and other tips from Allison. Again, the show notes, the transcript that links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F367. If you haven't already, I hope you will push the subscribe button. If you do, you'll catch our next guest. It's Taylor Jacobson, and he has got a pro tip and free tool to boost your focus to hunker down and get stuff done when you find that you're procrastinating and unable to do so. I'm so excited to introduce you to it. So that's the next episode of The Taylor. Until next time, peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.